All right, so my guest today, Daniel, refers to himself as a recovering racist. And as he puts it, um, he acknowledges that he's held racist beliefs in the past, but he's committed to unlearning them and becoming anti-racist. He strives to constantly examine his thoughts and actions for any signs of prejudice and take steps to address them. And firstly, like, awesome, right? I think that's all really good, <laughs> noble, important stuff to do. Um, but with that, there's a ton of interesting aspects of it to explore. I mean, there's some of the obvious questions of like, well, what makes someone racist? How does unconscious um, or hidden racism work? How do we actually become anti-racist? You know, what does that look like? And then beyond even those more obvious questions, there's questions about like more philosophical human nature questions. Um, are humans just inherently selfish and racism is just a form of that selfishness? And if so, do we ever really believe we can eliminate it completely? Um, we even ask questions as to why this is so important to Daniel, right? There's so many ugly things in this world. Why has he chosen racism as such an important focus? Is it just a form of virtue signaling or is it genuine? Um, frankly, there's just so many questions about a topic like this that we can ask. Um, and it's such an important and interesting topic. So I really enjoyed this conversation and I'll say, um, I say this often, but a big thanks to Daniel, because firstly, I think the work he's doing is important. Obviously, I think it's relevant to the time we live in. And I think trying to figure out some of these answers is super important. Um, but as important as that, I think the approach he's taking to it, um, not everybody might agree with everything he says or I say or whatever, but he's, he's trying to be very open. He's trying to be very thoughtful. And maybe most importantly, he's trying to be very humble. He's trying to acknowledge that there's things he doesn't know. There's things going on in his mind that he's not fully aware or in control of. And personally, I believe that's the approach we have to take. But frankly, that's why we have these conversations so we can explore, we can test some of our assumptions, test some of our views. And that's what Daniel and I did. Um, so with that, let's get to the episode with Daniel. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you today. Uh, I will open it up with the first question, as I always do, just to get right into it, of what's the strongly held belief, perspective, viewpoint that you have um, that we're going to discuss today? The strongly held belief is that it's very important to um, question hidden racial bias. Mm. Mm. For most of my life, I was operating under the assumption that I was not racist. And that label does a lot. It doesn't actually mean anything, but it does a lot. Because if you asked a million people what it means to be not racist, they would create their own definition and assuredly draw a line right around themselves so they're the good guy and those people over there are the bad guys mm. that's the one mm. thing that every definition has in common is i'm on the good guy side huh. it's convenient to be on the good guy side so let me ask you just some maybe foundational questions as we get into the conversation sure. first one maybe the most difficult one and we could probably spend all the time and more on this but i think it's important to frame the conversation what is your best working definition of racism? When we talk about, you know, trying to identify those things, how are we defining it? Is there a way to define it? I know it's some ways an impossible question, but how, how are you defining it? You're absolutely right that it's entirely too vast to summarize in a little bit because uh, you've got systemic racism, you've got individual racism, which is what I've been focused on the past few years. You've got, um, uh, you know, so many different perspectives on it that uh, you've got covert racism, which is really obvious to the world. Few people will not usually argue about that. Cross burning is wrong. The N word is wrong. That's, you know, usually a given, but then there's the covert. Did I say covert? I, I meant to I think say so, covert. but I know what you meant. Yeah. Overt racism where it's obvious to everybody. Covert racism, which I had in abundance uh, where it's easily deniable, defendable. I could say, I didn't mean it that way. You know, so if I redefine it a little bit, you know, if I told a joke that was off color, then I could say, well, I didn't mean it in a mean way. And my black friends don't mind that joke. Well, maybe not to my face, but mm. still it's problematic. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of categories of covert. And that's where exploring the unconscious side comes in, mm. because mm. it's really easy to convince yourself and even other people that what you're doing or saying isn't problematic. But if it doesn't hold up the questioning, if you really examine it and you're like, you know what, what I just did was problematic. And I could make an argument that I was just being rude rather than racist. But in my mind, I need the harsher language. Huh. So to motivate me to go to the gym, I got to look in the mirror and say, Dan, you're getting fat. As opposed to I'm a little bit chubby. If I'm a little bit chubby, I still might have dessert. So 
to me, I have to do, use harsher language. Talking to other people, though, you know, uh, they may benefit and be more motivated by the softer language. You're a bit chubby, but you could probably stand to put that pie down. Mm. I just reminded myself I got pie in the fridge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, mm. for me, I use the harsher language. And I have to remind myself that, you know, that might not be the way you need to hear it or someone else needs to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So what we're talking about, just to, just to again, to kind of play it back to you, summarize as best we can, just for the conversation. Sure. So unconscious, I think that's pretty intuitive. We understand that. That's things that we may not be aware of or acknowledge. Um, mm -hmm. But the racist beliefs, thoughts, whatever it might be, it's it's thoughts that are um, problematic. I know you've mentioned that word a couple of times. So maybe they cause harm to somebody else. They cause damage in some way. And they're rooted in um, race. Their genesis, yeah, I guess, in some They have some way. genesis or direct connection to race. Okay. Okay. Nicely summarized. Thank you. For okay. That. And you know, it's am, not, it's imperfect still, but we can use it at least as a frame of reference. Um, yeah, and I'll, and we'll work on that. And by the time we're done, we might have that answer better. Hey, if we do, that's success. So. Yeah, that, I was going <laughs> to say, whole society has been working on this a long time. <laughs> I think you and I got <laughs> it though. I got to be honest. If we take baby steps in 45 minutes, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me ask you the next foundational question. Of, sure. So you mentioned that's a strongly held belief that we all need to be working on questioning these things. Let me ask what may seem like an obvious question, but why? Why is that such an important topic to you? Why is that something that you've dedicated so much time to, you believe so strongly about? Sure. Um, as we're doing this, I want to ask a favor of you and your listeners to pay close attention to any emotions that might be going on. So two big categories, judgment and curiosity. If you're coming from a place of judgment, it is really tough to learn coming from curiosity it's easy to learn judgment gives you permission to not participate i'm right they're wrong they don't know what they're talking about i already know all this those are judgmental type of concepts so uh keep that in mind and i'm gonna have you repeat the question again which was so what why is it so important to you to, to get people to yourself for other people to be questioning these unconscious beliefs thank you uh, because i was approaching racism from a very judgmental perspective in the aftermath of George Floyd, the whole world was on fire, literally and figuratively. And um, we saw a whole lot of racist people doing very racist things. And in the same breath saying, I'm not racist. And they sincerely believed it. So from a judgmental perspective, I was pointing my finger at them saying, you know, how could they be so stupid? How could they be in such denial? And I happened to be in therapy because it was, well, because it was 2020. <laughs> Not to be in therapy right there and my therapist called me out when i was ranting about those racist people everywhere and she said to me so how do you know that you're not racist and i started to give some platitude answer and she stopped me and she said no how do you know and she really pushed me to try and define what that meant and uh it's a fairly simple question but it's not a simple answer and i worked on it for weeks before I came, finally came up with, you know, that label of not racist. And I was so certain I was not racist all of my life. It's nothing more than a paper shield. Mm. It doesn't have actual meaning, except for everybody's customized definition that puts them on the side of the good guys. Now, what does it do? It does a lot. It protects us from having to work. I'm already not racist. I've crossed that finish line, so I don't have to do anything about it. It uh, gives us a high ground superiority concept. You know, I'm not racist. I'm better than those people over there. And I was definitely in that category. Um, and it does so much more than that. And I'm, uh, forgive me a second. I'm drawing a blank. Like yeah. uh, it allows us to uh, circumvent trying to examine our own biases. Hmm. You know, I nobody would have called me racist before, you know, um, uh, well, not nobody, few people would have, and definitely not to my face. Um, but in hindsight, that there were a lot of little things that did contribute to an inequality. Mm. You know, people talk about white supremacy, and you immediately think of, you know, those people who march and uh, say Hitler had it right and horrible things like that. And of course, I would never be one of those people. However, if you think about inequality in small details, then that measurement gets much more important. For example, if I have a conflict with a coworker, 
am I likely to reach a threshold of uh, the phrase that I use in my mind is, how dare you talk to me that way? Hmm. That's a totally distinct attitude in my head when we've crossed the line. Now, I realized a while back, a couple of years ago, that I reached that threshold pretty quickly with a black female coworker. She was not being disrespectful or rude. She was being stern and strong, but she was not being disrespectful or rude. If someone, if a white male was giving me the same speech in the same tone, in the same context, I might not have reached that threshold as fast. You can't be for sure. But Press I reached pretty quick thing? with her. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Can I, just in, in the spirit of your, where you started with the belief, how how have you made sense of that? I, I know we don't know for sure, but as you're trying to dig into that unconscious part of you, and we're talking about this, what's your best explanation as to why the reaction to that black female coworker is different than the white male? I mean, there's the obvious, she's yeah. black, she's female, right? But like, go a level beneath that for me. Like, what is it that made you feel either triggered, upset, justified in reacting that way? Sure. Like, what's under there? And I didn't feel justified because as soon as I thought it, the immediate thought right ever was, how did that thought get in my head? I never expressed it out loud. It was a brief feeling and an immediate realization that that feeling was not okay. And I could have easily dismissed it and said, you know, that's not really a thing and just moved on with my life, you know, just shoved it to the side. But um, because I did realize that that was something and my therapist was a good part of the reason why, because then I started paying closer attention to my own behaviors. And I um, was doing a lot of work under uh, Carl Jung, which is shadow work and the inner child. Well, bias is developed before age four. And somewhere before age four, I got it in my head that there is an inequality between gender and an inequality between race. And even though I knew it logically, that root belief was somewhere in the depths of my brain in it's been influencing my bias ever since. And if you want to think of bias as a simple, straightforward way, it's like the autopilot of your brain. It's just the things, the software that's set up long before you consciously decided to make it that way, that guides you a certain way. And of course, over time, you can, you know, build biases on various things. But if you're building something on a rule that you developed at age four or younger, it seriously needs to be reprogrammed. You know, the software's out of date. You got to change that. And I came to realize that. Funny thing, when you change old software like that, the software that was built upon it has to adjust accordingly. So a lot of the things that you believe automatically fall to the wayside. I mean, it's it does still require some effort, but there, it's a lot easier to recognize, you know what, that belief no longer rings true because I know and I'm consciously aware and watching for any inequality because of gender or race or other things. Let is me ask, about, I mean, it does, it does. And let me ask an intentionally provocative question because we're exploring. Like, I, I think the value or the, or the belief you started with is an extremely important one, which is why I want people to hear this work through the people that may question and maybe, and maybe they're right. Right. Um, so why is it not as simple as saying to yourself, and I get, you know, simple is a, is a tricky word, but why is it not as simple as just saying, okay, I recognize that I have some, once you do, I have some bias with females or with black people or whatever people have issues with. And just logically saying, like, that doesn't make sense. Like just working through that in your head and recognizing and saying, all right, I don't want to do that anymore. Because I think a cynical person would say, it's one thing to recognize it. To change it, there's maybe a view that's like, well, I don't want to change it, or I don't actually believe it's wrong. I may recognize that it causes that's friction if I say it out loud. Right. Like, so why not as simple as just being able to say, I no longer believe that. I'm not going to allow that to dictate how I function anymore. And again, I know that's an intentionally like oversimplified provocative question, but what is the rationale on that, you think? No, it's it's a perfectly valid question. It's a great question because um there are three levels to the human brain. You've got the conscious level, the emotional level. And then the primitive level, which is, you know, the subconscious. And that's where the bias lives. And that's where racism lives. It hides in the subconscious. Now, racism can be conscious. But, you know, if you know that racism exists on a subconscious level, it's at least a possibility. Then to claim to be not racist, that label no longer has meaning because it could be hiding somewhere. Mm. 
I would love for that label to go away, you know, but if somebody claims it, who am I to say otherwise? And I do believe that there are people who are not racist, but how can you know unless you've explored your subconscious? So if your subconscious is influencing you, you need to be aware of it so you can change it. Because if you only decide on a conscious level or an emotional level that, you know, this is a belief I want to change and you don't attend to the subconscious level, it's still going to veer you to the left and help you toward a certain goal that was predetermined when you were a child. Mm -hmm. Or does that, yeah. It does, it does. And I wonder, like, I've thought about this a lot and I wonder, and I I say this again, in the spirit of exploring and and let's see where it takes us. But I, I wonder often that that term of racist like if somebody asked me, if you would ask me, are you racist? And and the same question you went through, right? How, how do you know you're not racist? It's a it's a fantastically horrible question in some ways, but you you don't know to your point. My sense would be like, I I don't think I overtly have any issues with people of different race, gender, creed, what what have you. I would be ignorant or or arrogant to assume that it didn't bias me in some way in certain interactions. But I I would like to believe it's not in a problematic way necessarily. But I do think at a root level, we all are somewhat inherently selfish and we want what's best for us. And my best sense of it is that, sure, there's people that are racist because, you know, they they genuinely believe that black people aren't as good as us or that they deserve to die or whatever it is they believe. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's almost a more superficial level. Like that's almost so stupid and illogical that it can't be the root of it. Right. That's just something like you use your analogy of software. That's software that got built on top of. And that's like a more higher superficial level. At the root level, I would assume people just do what is best for them, right? That's just, that's what we always do. We do things that are in our best interest. And if racism is something that's in our best interest, for whatever reason that is, if we're a white person living in Mississippi in the 50s, and it allows us to let off steam if we're angry at somebody, and I can just go take it out on this black person. If I have insecurities, and I don't like that black person talking to that white woman, well, now I can kill him and hang him for like whatever, right? right? Or even today. There's benefits people get from either being overtly racist or even just ignoring racism that exists. It's more rooted in that. It's rooted in our inherent selfishness. I'm just curious your take on that. Do you think racism is its own unique thing and it is actually the root of it? Or do you think there's some other aspect of human nature that is actually the root level of of racism? That's a good question. I haven't put uh, too much thought specifically that way. Um, I believe that they are... That uh, there is the subconscious level that I've been working on, and then there is the direct social benefit, because mm-hmm. then you're talking about less intrinsic perspective and more, you know, um, outward perspective. And yeah, and people will behave on a way that benefits them individually. Perfect. It makes perfect sense, as well as uh, helps you socially, because if everybody else is trying to stop that little girl from going to a white school, then, you know, you've got a sense of community there by being equally opposed. Now, if you look at it from the perspective of, you know, you've got grown adults attacking a small child, people are not going to hold on to that perspective very long because it doesn't support their identity as a good person. Yes. Yes. So, you know, you got to limit and no matter what you're doing, you're always limiting your focus um people talk a lot about social media and the algorithm the human brain already has that it's called the reticular activating system the reticular will focus on certain things and ignore certain things so if you have learned something and the process of learning is just connecting new information to existing information that's the process of learning in the nutshell and if you've learned something that's askew something that's a little bit i'll just use left and right leaning then it's going to ignore certain things and protect you from learning things that don't align with that initial belief, as well as help you connect new information to that existing belief. And that's where we have such strong division now is because you've got people building to extremes, the different perspectives. And, you know, it's a very isolated, limited perspective that we're being fed. Mm. Well, it's, it's a nice, it's an interesting turn you took on it because we talked about this a little bit on the pre-show. So what does that mean for how you you do this work, to use that phrase, and, and literally the work that, mm-hmm. that you're trying to do and some of the stuff that you've you, you've created? Um, does that mean that 
like, do we have to wear kid gloves with people? And because their mind know. is so built on protecting them that we don't want to trigger that ego or that subconscious defensive systems. Or can you be direct and say like, Hey, you're being an asshole. You're being racist. Right. Like what's the right approach? Uh, you gotta be flexible in your approach. Okay. So, um, kind of like I can appreciate harsh language, tough love. Not everybody's going to like that. Some people will be needing just a very gentle nudge. Like if they say something, you know, if you were to say something that I think is questionable or downright racist, uh, instead of calling you out, because I don't know you real well, mm -hmm. but I know from your other shows that you're an open-minded person who listens. So I might say, did you hear yourself just now? Mm -hmm. Just bring it back around in a soft way saying, you know, let's take a closer look at what you just said. And can you see how that might be a problem for some people or how people might misinterpret you? You said what you said and you meant it. But I would soften it a little bit by saying, you know, people might misinterpret, misunderstand you and think that you don't like a certain whole group of people because of that. So mm. um, how, does that, how, do, how does that how do you think about that? Because there's a lot of people that believe today and, and I don't know if they're right or wrong, to be honest. It's a complicated question that like. Let's just stick with black people because that's, you know, sure. we're talking about racism. Yeah, it's obviously, simplest. It's simplest in that way. So there's this view that's like, hey, we've tried to do it the right way for a long time in this country. Right. We've tried different approaches. We've tried empathy and understanding and, and kind of trying to help people work through it. And this idea of trying to, like, be flexible and adapt to the people and kind of just nudge them along to that. Like sounds good in theory, but you know, there's literally people dying. There has been people dying. And this idea of taking that approach, it can't be the best approach. Although logically it might make sense in some ways, it's practically it doesn't actually apply and hold. Right. Is there truth to that? Um, yeah, there's truth to that. Uh, there is um, you know, with individuals, you need an individual strategy and adapt to how that person is receiving the information, which is always going to be tough. Uh, the programs I'm working on building right now are focused on a singular first-person perspective. I talk about my racism. I don't accuse anybody else of having racism. If you relate, fine. If you don't, fine. Take your time. Think about it. Does it merit? Does it make sense? Because there's a natural inclination that racism is so bad, so very horrible, that anyone would want to disassociate from it. I am not racist because racists are bad people and I'm a good person. That's not me. That's pretty much 100% of the population that's going to disassociate from acknowledging their own racism. If we can get to the point where it's kind of like, you know what? I might have some racial bias hidden in my brain somewhere and it comes out now and then. And if you were to call me out on it, because I do have that perspective now, Instead of getting protective or defensive, I'm going to respond with, in what way? I'll, get, I'll be curious and say, what did I say and how is it a problem? And then if you say, explain it to me, I can then reevaluate on whether or not what I said was a problem. Because there are plenty of people who are very quick to uh, point the fingers at how racist someone else is and it protects them from themselves. You know, it's like, I can see how racist you are, therefore I'm a good person. Mm. And, uh, you know that self-righteous pious position doesn't help anybody you don't move toward understanding so calling racism out in a way that is not an attack or accusatory is a skill set that needs to be developed and you know i am no under no delusion that racism is going to go away but we can move toward a better more equal perspective and more open idea to where People are not everyone is going to be completely defensive when behavior is brought up. Hmm. So hey, let me I press on that I am a racist and I call myself a racist in recovery because oh, cool. even though I am not overtly racist, something could still sneak out. Something could be hidden there. And it's going to be my ongoing lifelong process to be aware of that. And if it comes up, address it. Hmm. Well, I should say when it comes up. Address it. When it comes up. Yeah. All right, let me let me respond to that with a bit of a, a thought. Let's see if I can keep it coherent. So I, I get I get it. I, I get what you're saying. And I think just to press on it a little bit, like that idea of, you know, if somebody believes they're not racist, okay, that's like it's not it's not anybody's job to force them to to figure that out. You could look at that point on itself and say, are we okay with that? 
like are we are we then um tolerant of racism in some way and is that problematic and and it's i'm not i don't want to end the thread on that point because i understand the nuance in which you're saying it sure. you're not saying it like oh i don't care if somebody's racist i don't care if they do bad things right. you're saying it much more from like a, a to, for lack of a better word like an efficiency perspective but we're trying to address the problem although mm -hmm. that might feel good it may feel justified to call that person racist, to call them out very directly. It's not actually going to reduce racism in the world. And that has to be the goal, right? We're trying to reduce racism. So right. the most effective approach towards that is maybe a different approach, which says, let's kind of, I don't know what the right approach is, like take, customize the approach, ease our way into it, get them to start to realize and figure it out. It makes me go back to where we were before though. Like if the root of racism is inherent in our human nature, which is it's really rooted in this selfishness or or whatever we want to call it, it makes me wonder, like, where's the reason for optimism that this is going to work at large, right? Like, right. It, how do we think human nature is fundamentally going to shift, right? Because and you could look throughout history. I know, you know, in the last four or 500 years, or whatever, racism in the way that we've known it in America is a very relevant thing to us. And it's disgusting and it's horrible. And there's been disgusting, horrible things done. But if you look at throughout human history, there's been disgusting, horrible human things done to women, to different groups, right? All different ways. Right. So where does the optimism come for you? And I'm not suggesting it shouldn't be there. I'm genuinely asking right. that if you take the approach, if some of the things you've figured out for yourself, if we employ those, it will help reduce racism. What's the source of that optimism? Why, why aren't you more cynical and say humans are just screwed? We're just bad. <laughs> I do think that a lot. Um, Me too. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, if you watch the news, it's hard not to take on that, you know, the world is just going to crap uh, perspective. And, um, and overall, I'm a fairly pessimistic person. So uh, for me, this was a big turning point, because when I made the realization that I had some garbage in my brain, that wasn't helping me to be the person I wanted to be. Uh, I began my racial bias deconstruction and with my therapist and um, and also a lot of work on my own. And I was sharing it on TikTok, which was uh, a recklessly brave thing to do uh -huh. because uh, it got a lot of interesting conversations going. But this is not a short media format that can uh, explore these topics. So I stopped doing that after a while. And um uh, began to focus more on uh, trying to put all of these complex pieces together. And that's why I appreciate a long interview format like this to try and help that out. The optimism comes uh, from the idea of not so much as fixing a situation as to make a tiny improvement. So um, I was also uh, going through some career exercises, you know, all those different career exercises where it says, you know, um, write your own obituary. What do you want on your tombstone? Or if it were to be so bold as to say, if you were to be famous, what would you be famous for? Write an essay about that. I turned that around, and this is where I guess my optimism comes from. If you were to be forgotten within a generation or two, and you could move one aspect of the world just a tiny bit, what cause would you choose? And for me, it's racial bias deconstruction, helping people consider the possibility there's something going on in their subconscious and there's an opportunity to get a little bit better. Will I be forgotten in a generation? Probably. Yeah, we probably all will be. Yeah. Not yeah. all of us can have a musical written about us and become, you know, Hamilton. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not most of us. In fact, how much did I know about Hamilton before Hamilton? Not much. Fair question. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm planning on being forgotten. I'm hoping that I can share this idea wide enough to where, you know, to use a sports metaphor, um, somebody else can pick up the ball and take it to the first down. Hmm. So. And another provocative question, because that's the nature of this show. Sure. Why? I, I asked it in the beginning, but let me ask it in a different form now. You said if, if, if I could pick one thing, as you just laid out, really interesting scenario to lay out. I think it makes people think. Why race? Like, there's a lot of horrible things in the world. Why? Some somebody again, cynical, would come and say, "Well, given the times, you're a white male. It's a tough time." Some people would say it's a tough time to be a white male, which is a statement in and of itself. But, um, yeah. like, you're you're just trying to jump on that train, right? You're trying to ease your own guilt. You're trying right. to virtue signal that you're a good person. You're kind of just latching onto this thing because it's what the media is talking about. Right. What is your genuine reason for saying that's the most important issue to me? Racism. 
It's because um, when you live in a self-imposed prison for so long, and that was uh, by that prison, I mean my own defensiveness. And I shouldn't use the word defensiveness because that makes people defensive. <laughs> so if I were, so my subconscious mind is trying to protect me and my identity as a good person. Now, when I was going through therapy, I gave that protector a name. So, um, you know, back to Carl Jung, he's big on uh, the inner child. I had an inner child protector. I named him Kevin after the movie series Home Alone hmm. because he had all of these elaborate booby traps to protect my identity as a good person. And Kevin was going, working overtime to keep, make me certain that I was a good person, regardless of my own behavior, regardless of my own beliefs. And uh, it's really amazing the defensive systems or protective systems that a person can develop uh, within the subconscious. And I've, I've got journals full of notes on that topic. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where it came from for me because when I finally realized that it wasn't immediate, I had to do some processing, but it was very liberating to realize, you know what? I have racial bias in my brain. It's not my fault that it got there. It's not my parents' fault that it got there because my mom was very much pro-civil rights, but she was also uh, a fearful white woman. So when we went, drove down into downtown St. Louis for dentist appointments and whatnot, and driving through the streets, she would say, lock your doors when she would see a black man on the sidewalk. Like we're driving 30 miles an hour. I'm pretty sure he's not going to catch up to us. <laughs> but he, she's still saying lock her doors. In fact, uh, not too long ago, I had an experience where I'm at a stoplight downtown. My left hand reaches up for my right shoulder and as if to lock the door on the passenger side of the car, even though I'm in the driver's side. That involuntary motion, I could have easily dismissed it, but I looked at it and I said, what is my hand doing? It was really weird. And then I looked and there's a black man in the sidewalk. Hmm. Not a threatening looking guy, not a thug, just a guy crossing the street. No reason to be fearful at all, but that programming from my childhood 40 plus years ago, it had an effect. So that, you know, so that's interesting. Whole other so, therapy session. Whole other therapy session. So there's so many directions to go from here. So let me let me go here first. And and I say this. Let me let me first say this. I think your honesty, your openness, and and by that I don't just mean saying what you know to be true and what you know some people might be embarrassed by or ashamed by or just being honest. Your openness. I'm proud. <laughs> well, exactly, and that's 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 a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's, but that's also the that openness. Needs to be talked about, though. Well, yeah, yeah. But also the openness of what you don't know. And like, hey, I'm sure I still have stuff in there that's going on because that's oh, a tough yeah. thing just to acknowledge that. Right. So I want to start by saying that. Like, I think that's such a beautiful thing. And this this is the stuff that has to be done. It makes me think as you're saying that answer, though. And again, I, I don't say this in a bad way. That answer is rooted in a little bit of that. Like it was liberating for you to figure this out. And that's Absolutely. again, you're still that's miles ahead of most people. And I think that's just human nature. That's what makes me think this thing is so tough and interesting to work through because in an ideal world, and I am no better than you, none of us, I don't believe, are better than anybody sure. in this regard. The reason to want to get rid of racism is you don't want anybody to have to suffer. Nobody should have to suffer ever, right? A black child, a black adult, whoever, no, nobody, a white one, it doesn't matter. But obviously black people have suffered a lot. But I feel like as humans, it's very difficult to, for us to be honest and say, the reason I'm going to do this unbelievably hard thing, like try and address my subconscious biases and work through this stuff and reprogram myself, which is you've talked about therapy, journaling, all the work it does. It is very hard for us, sadly, to do that work completely for somebody else. And the reality mm -hmm. is it has to benefit us in some way. Right. And that's kind of comes through a little bit in that response. Again, not in a bad way, but it, mm -hmm. it gets me back to that of wondering, like, is that even the solution to this has to be rooted in selfishness in some ways, which strangely starts to make you think like, again, is it ever going to happen that if it's always selfishness at the root of it, how, how do we figure this out? So what's that make you think? Not really a question in that, but just a thought. No, there's actually a lot of question in that, um, which all valid, you know, everything you say is true. Uh, the, the part that I would pivot on that is doing for yourself is not in itself selfishness. So when I go to therapy, it's for me. 
when I write it in my journal, it's for me. When I translate this chicken scratch of my journal <laughs> into something that people can understand, that's when I'm saying, you know what? I would want someone else to experience my sense of relief and joy. That's for me too. But it's also because I don't want the pain of others to continue and grow. So there's nothing wrong with acting in your own interest. It's at when it's to the exclusion of someone else's interest that it becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I would define as selfish. When I act in my best interest, knowing it's going to hurt you. Best interest, knowing it's going to hurt you. Yeah, I think that's right. And and that's that's where I think the subconscious, the protector, the Kevin comes in so yeah. often because I think sometimes either we we can't help but act selfishly or um it's just such a like better choice seemingly for us right oh, yeah. by definition and kevin just to stick with that wants mm -hmm. us as you said not to feel bad about that so there has right. to be some belief of like no 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 this isn't selfish this is you know something else and that's what makes this so hard as you've articulated throughout this like it's almost like you're playing a game of like three dimensional chess against a chess master um and like you've had a few drinks and like you're you're already behind the eight ball like you can't right. function at the level they can and you're trying to catch up and it's almost like where the, the the path i've taken through doing this show and just more generally is almost this working assumption and i'm not sure it's a healthy one i'm curious your take on it which is like we should all kind of assume we're assholes just like in some ways you're saying we yeah. should all kind of assume we're racist and it's our job to identify the moments in which that's playing out like we constantly have to be on guard looking for when is this an instance where my subconscious is trying to make me feel better, but I'm actually doing something wrong? Like that becomes being a good person is maybe just that acknowledging I'm a bad person. And let me catch the ways in which I'm doing that. Is that a healthy way to look at it? Right there is, uh, you know, acknowledging that at times I'm a jerk and, uh, you know, it's like, and it's okay to be an asshole. Sometimes it's real. It's a lot better when you realize you're doing it and then you can make a conscious choice whether or not to pursue it's like, you know what, it, this moment warrants my worst version of myself. Um, so, yeah, there are times when uh, being uh, fully confrontational and uh, acting in your own self-interest makes sense. Hmm. But it's, it, I think you're right. It is important to realize that we all have that within our potential. I'm not a big fan of pedestals. You know, somebody who tried to pay me, well, actually several people online when I was doing my uh, deconstruction on TikTok playing me compliments like you're a saint and so on that's like no i'm not a saint i'm definitely a sinner and i was very uncomfortable with those compliments because that's kind of putting me on a pedestal and it's denying me the opportunity to be the asshole hmm. i want the option you know it's like i'm not going to be a saint all the time don't call me a saint I'm not comfortable with that and, you know i was very flattered but yeah, yeah. not you know it's really uncomfortable so i like the option of being um able to be an asshole now and then and i think mm -hmm. that's an important thing and acknowledging when you're doing it i think is the key to being a good person it's like so. you know what i was a bit too harsh at this time or i was harsh and it needed to happen mm -hmm. so yeah. so let's let's as we're coming a little bit towards the end um and i'll do the same for me i, I hopefully you're okay with this i think in the spirit of it you will be as you do your work now as you think of it now it's it's a blind spot so by definition it's hard to point out but what would you like are there things that you are still working on where you have a sense like there's still a race racist thought or belief there that my subconscious still holds that you are aware like what is it right now um for you are there things that you're still aware of that you're comfortable talking about i i am pleased to announce that i've done a lot of work so i've i caught on to most of the worst things i've said and um, uh, I've, you know, tried to make amends to people like the coworker that I was arguing with. The argument never got racial. I never said anything that would have called in HR. My attitude was, I'm sure, was apparent to her. Yeah. And you so knew inside. Yeah, you, you know, she, yeah, you could read into it, you know. And you're like, you know what? I was disrespectful to you, and I'm got my baggage going on and I'm working on it. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, you, you saw me through that argument. You made your point. I came around eventually. And, um, you know, we have a better relationship now. Now I'm also learned enough. I've read quite a few books and know that just because I apologize doesn't mean she's entitled or she's required to acknowledge it. And she did not. 
said, oh, no, I, I, I didn't see a problem with your behavior. I just thought it was a conflict. Yeah. I was like, you know, but I could tell in her dismissal that we both know that there was an element there. Yeah. And but she was willing to move past it because it was the most uh, clear path. And also, I might not be that trusted person yet. It's like, you know, you have to be earn that level of trust to where they're to where anyone's going to acknowledge that there's a problem between you. And it's okay if they don't acknowledge it yet, which is sometimes tough because you feel like you want them to be in the same place you are to build the relationship. And you have to allow time for that to happen on its own. And it's, uh, and, you know, we are definitely closer now than we were. Um, you know, are, are we going out to dinner anytime soon? No. <laughs> but you know uh she knows that my intent is not harmful and she has seen growth yeah. you know and she said that uh a few months back she said something to the effect of you know i have seen a difference in you and i'm like well thank you for saying so yeah that was big a win yeah it's a win yeah yeah, yeah it's tough i i think as i think about that question for myself it's probably similar to you in some ways i mean but my, my my conscious view of it, which I recognize is inherently flawed because there's a subconscious aspect of it, is that I don't think there's anything overtly where like I would see somebody of a different race, color, what have you, and think something negative about them. I'm sure there are thoughts about them, though, that maybe mm -hmm. aren't directly like malicious or evil, but there is a generalization. There is a prejudice sure. about something. I, I have no doubt that's there. The thing I think about most often when I think about like 100 years from now, when people look back you know, what's the thing that I might be embarrassed about that I didn't even realize in the moment. And, and it is something that I do realize. I think the thing that comes up for me most often of many is the prison system. Like when you look at the numbers of how many black men in particular are in prison, that's one of those ones that makes me think like, like after we finish this interview, I may run to the store and go get some groceries. And that's one of those things that I think about, like, how am I running to get groceries right now as if everything's fine? When in effect, there's like this institutional system that's just in, putting people back in chains. Um, in a lot of ways. And I don't say that to be like woke or virtue signal or any of that. It's just the facts of it, the number of people. Right. And to me, that feels like a form of race because I'm not doing nearly enough about it. I'm not nearly outraged enough about it, right? When COVID happened and there were lockdowns and it impacted my life, I felt the pain and there was this reaction of like, oh, certain things, this doesn't feel right. Yet when those people are being put in prison at the numbers in which they are, I should be way more outraged than I am. And to me, that feels like a form of racism if we're sticking with that definition we used earlier. So, you know, I used to think of uh, racism as a tug of war, tug of war kind of thing. Yeah. Either you're racist or you're not. You're the good guys, the bad guys. Um, instead, the metaphor I use, the visual be helpful, but uh, fighting racism is like pushing a truck up a hill with no engine. The truck doesn't have an engine. So the anti-racist people are working hard, pushing up the hill. Racist people are pushing the truck back down the hill. The hill represents the years of unfair policies and uh, rules that go against equality. Now, where are most of the people? Most of us are claiming to be not racist, just lounging around on the back of the truck, not contributing in any way, shape, or form. But we are, the, at the very least, dead weight. The dead weight pushing down the hill just because we're not doing anything. Now, these positions are not static. They're dynamic. They can change. So as I'm sitting on the back of the truck, on a good day, I can realize, hey, here's an area where I can help. I get off the truck and I push up the hill for a while. And I have a lot of privilege, so it's entirely up to me how hard I push, when I push, and so on. Mm -hmm. On a bad day, I know that there's the possibility that I'm going to be the guy pushing down the hill. And if I'm aware that it's a possibility, I'm more likely to catch it and stop it before I push a lot. So when you're talking about what you can do for the prison system, you know, our our effect as an individual is pretty limited, you know, on a big system like that. So I took the coward's way out and I said, let's focus intrinsically on myself. I that's it. something I can, that's something I might be able to do. And if I share that with people and we get enough people doing it, then maybe more people will consider the possibility of what is going on with the prison system. Now, you and I have studied it. A lot of people would deny that there's even a problem there. You know, anytime you've got prison for a profit, 
the profit's going to be a big motivator. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot that should be done if and when bills come up, you can try and support and promote them. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do about that. That, that problem's so far beyond me. I would love to fix it, but I'm going to focus on my little area. And then if I'm riding on the back of a truck, so to speak, and I see an opportunity where I can help, and I'm more active politically now than I was a few years ago. So if I do see that there is a candidate or a bill that needs attention or promotion, I'm going to promote that. I live in St. Louis, which is a blue bubble in a very red state. So we've got a lot of legislation uh, that is working against fairness and equality right now, especially for trans people. So everything that I'm talking about in the subconscious mind applies to, you know, any minority, trans people, LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. It's widespread that if people explore their subconscious and consider the possibility, question your presumptions, there's a good chance that you're going to uh, walk away with a slightly more open mind and a less judgmental perspective to give people the right to thrive, yeah. the right to exist, yeah. you know? So that's a pretty low standard. Like Seems people like should it. not be afraid to live. You know, you don't have to invite people into your house if you disagree. That's fine. But they should be at the very least allowed to exist without the threat of danger, violence, life, uh, danger to self, life, livelihood. Yeah. I think that's a pretty reasonable standard to reach. Certainly seems like it. Certainly seems like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say this as as, as we wrap it, Daniel. My, my my last thought, and then I'll give you the last word. Anything you want to say? Um, I think I th I love the concept that you're talking about, and I love the way in which you're talking about it because it's giving it the nuance, um, the sensitivity, the complexity that it deserves. I obviously, just like you said, we'd all love to just wave a wand and nobody suffers. Everything's amazing. Everything's great, of course. But in this world it doesn't work that way. So unfortunately we need to treat it with nuance and sensitivity. We have to do that all around. So I think that's super important. Maybe most importantly, the thing you've been harping on throughout this, the idea of questioning your subconscious and, and questioning in those ways, I think is so unbelievably important. And, and I think you've done a good job of this. I'll just make another plug for it. It's really, really, really hard. Right. And and by that, I mean, almost impossible. Like what I've found for myself is let's, let's assume somebody's listening to this and they say, you know what? I really liked what Daniel had to say. I'm going to read some of his stuff. I want to go. I want to question myself. I think it's important for people to understand, at least for most people or myself is all I can really speak for. But I think it's true. When you start doing that questioning, if it feels easy, if it feels like, oh, yeah, like I see some of this, I'm realizing it. You're probably not going far enough. If you don't hit a point where it feels physically uncomfortable for you to keep questioning, you're probably not getting to that point deep in the subconscious where it exists. And just as an example of it, you know, as you were talking about before, like there's some people that might think like, I'd love to do something about the prison system. I'm one of those people, right? I'd say that. Sure. That's too. an example, right? Exactly. Where for myself, I think like, it's not enough, like that question needs to come in and say, is that true though? Would I really, at what cost would I love to do that? What is it? Because mm -hmm. it's simple to say it in that phrase. And I know exactly how you meant it, but for, for myself, at least, to say it in that phrase, but but what do I actually mean by that? How much would I love for that to happen? What am I willing to actually do for it? What am I not willing to do for it? That type of, and then being honest with that, and in a weird way, never actually trusting the answer, because Kevin is always there with his defense system trying to work through it, so you can never fully yeah. trust whatever answer you get, which makes this all the much harder, but also supports everything you're saying. So I think it's awesome, Daniel, but let me give you the last word, anything you got. Hey, um, as you were saying that, I was hearing Kevin in my previous statement saying, you know, there's not much I can do. That's Kevin talking. Mm -hmm. There's something I can do. I might not know what to do yet. Um, but yeah, that was Kevin loud and clear. But now that I'm aware of his existence, it's more of a dialogue instead of him hiding and pulling the strings from the shadows. Yep. So, um, yeah, I would encourage anybody if you do want to take on these challenges and question what's going on in your subconscious, do it with professional help because they're going to push you where you would not push yourself to that edge of discomfort, you know, and they'll reel it in and try and keep an eye on how to get that balance because it's very easy to um, get carried away with it, you know, and once you pull Kevin out of the picture, trying to protect your identity as a good person, you know, there are times when I would get tough on myself and start thinking of myself as a bad person 
it's not my identity. It's just my programming. And I can change my programming. And these, we're talking about moments. Nobody's good all the time. Nobody's bad all the time. We need to give ourselves the flexibility to be pretty darn horrible. We can be assholes. We can be helpful. You know, I was going to say angels, but nah, let's not go that far. <laughs> but well, yeah, you, can, you can be pushing up the hill. You can be pushing down. It's, you know, yeah. it's and realize, just because you were pushing down the hill in a given moment, you don't have to stay there. You can change and you can realize you can uh, learn from that event. You know, as long as you keep learning and paying attention, you have a chance of improving. And that's my biggest hope for everybody is that they move toward the uh, the person they want to be and hopefully we can move the society toward the society we want that's the dream beautifully said beautifully said well firstly thank you again for for the work you're doing and um as importantly if not more for being on having conversations like this and as i said just being open about what you know what you don't know or flaws all that i think it's modeling some stuff that we need um a lot of uh, all of us do so yeah. i appreciate you for doing it I appreciate you and your podcast because, you know, uh, so far every episode has been spectacular. Uh, I appreciate it. You know, I, I'm, I'm new to your show, but I'm, I'm going to be around a long time. I'm going through back issues now and back uh, our interviews. And, uh, you know, every time it's, you learn something and it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a very uplifting thing, even though it's tough topics, mm. you know, you, you don't, uh, you're talking about some challenging things. And then you walk away saying, okay, I'm thinking about it. And you know what? I feel a little bit better now that I'm thinking instead of just assuming that there's nothing I can do. Yeah. It's it's in many ways the work you're talking about. It's a question. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think we're on the same page in a lot of that. So yeah, I appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank yeah. you. All right. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thank you. I'll put links to, to your work in the, in the notes of the episode. Hope people check it out. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives and I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly and I hope you have an awesome day. <laughs>